Alrighty, if you have your Bibles, open with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I hope this will be a good passage as Pastor Charles just urged us to pray for someone that they may hear the gospel and believe, and even as we send out a team sharing the gospel from door to door here in Hernando, Ephesians chapter 2. Was, the book of Ephesians was written by Paul also while he was in prison, like many of his other prison epistles. We looked at Philippians a few weeks ago, last time I was here with you, but Ephesians was written by Paul while in prison, he wrote, to the church in Ephesus, to the saints, the, the deacons, the overseers in the city of Ephesus. A few weeks ago, as I just mentioned, I was here with you and we looked at the gospel and the Christian life in the book of Philippians. And we did that because I was leaving with the team to go to Africa, and my task in Africa, um, the two weeks we were there, was to teach the book of Philippians to a group of pastors there. We did a pastor training. And what we saw in Philippians here in this room, and of course in Africa, is that Jesus was Paul's reason for living. We saw that Paul also wrote Philippians. He wrote while in jail, just like Ephesians. And even amidst suffering, pain, and all the horrors that come with being in jail and just living life in general, we saw that Jesus was Paul's reason for living. And we saw that that should be the attitude, not just of someone like Paul or pastors or missionaries, but all Christians. Jesus is our reason for living. We should desire to know Jesus, to be like Jesus, and for other people to know him and trust him for salvation as well. And also in Philippians, we saw the gospel of Jesus in Philippians 2, sort of as the springboard or foundation for for such a radical life lived for Jesus. So Paul says, Jesus is my reason for living. He looks to the believers in Ephesus and says, Jesus is your reason for living. And then he exalts Jesus as the humble servant and savior of the world who was slain for the sins of the world. The gospel of Jesus is the foundation for radical Christian living for Jesus. And this gospel that we speak of is amazing. And by the grace and power of God, the gospel has the power to change lives. Tonight, I want to share a short story with you exemplifying the power and goodness of the gospel, and then together look at Ephesians chapter 2, as the gospel is very well exemplified in the first 10 verses, and just sort of be reminded of what Jesus um, did for us. If you're here tonight and you're a believer, it will be a good, sanctifying reminder if you are, happen to be here tonight and you've never trusted Jesus for salvation, I would urge you to, to listen to this presentation of the gospel that you may trust Jesus for salvation through faith. So speaking of my time in Africa a couple weeks ago, the pastor there who we were serving put on a pastor training where he has been at his church for many years now and his church has planted many other churches So he invites all of these pastors together once a year that I know of, maybe more, to be trained and and brings people in to teach them the word and and teach them many different things about pastoring churches. So, So this main guy, the pastor of the first church who's planted all these churches, 
as a young, unbelieving man, this future pastor walked into a bar of all places one evening, and a man who was there shared the gospel with him. Eventually, this pastor, a few of his friends, and many, many other people believed in the gospel. They trusted Jesus for salvation. A church was started, and and this man became the pastor. This church started around 1990, so some time has passed. This is a slow process with a lot more details that even I don't know. But today, this church that started has planted around 20 other churches all across Uganda. And not only that, but those 20 plants have gone on, some of those 20 church plants have gone on to plant more churches and more churches. And in total, there are around 50 churches and church starts. So a church start is a group of gathered believers who likely don't have qualified leaders yet, so they're not a church just yet. But in total, from this movement, we have 50 churches, and including church starts. And that's amazing, is it not? The foundation of this movement was the sharing of the gospel of Jesus. One man with a small act of obedience that night at the bar shared the gospel with this future, soon-to-be pastor, and hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people have come to know Jesus by the power of the gospel. And this gospel is what I want to look at together this evening for for just a few minutes. So Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10, follow along with me. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable wraith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, to me, summarizes and shows the gospel maybe clearer than any short passage in the Bible altogether. And this gospel that we speak of literally is translated as good news. So the gospel is good news, the good news of Jesus' salvation. But before we look at the good news of the gospel, there is bad news. And I want to show you this in Exodus chapter 34. You can turn there or just listen. I'll read this to you. But here in the Old Testament, Exodus 34, we see something of a problem. And let me read it to you, and then I'll describe the problem. But Exodus 34, starting in verse 5, here we see the Lord providing Moses with two tablets for the Ten Commandments for the second time. And here's what he says in verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud 
and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So in these few verses, we see God's character, many attributes of God, including that the Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. These are amazing characteristics of the God we serve. And the first part of the gospel we see is God's character in creation, working all throughout history among mankind. And here in these verses we see a few great characteristics of God, but we also see that God is just. He is a just and holy God who will deal appropriately with sin. He will not leave sin unpunished. That's what the end of this verse says in verse 7. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So you see the sort of problem in this verse? It says he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? God is just and holy, and he will not clear the guilty, and we are guilty. Mankind is guilty of sin. Romans 3 describes this well. Romans 3.10 says that there are none who do good, not even one. It continues to say that there are none who even seek after God. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And now back in Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses of this chapter describe the sinfulness of man well. It's saying, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So in the beginnings of the gospel, which is good, great, amazing news, we see something that looks to be bad news. God, just and holy, man, totally sinful. So you see this problem? God is holy and just and will not leave sin unpunished. He will give sinners what they deserve, yet we are all sinners. This is bad news, not good news. If the story ended here, if the story of the Bible just cut off at Exodus chapter 34, verse 9, we would be hopeless, a hopeless and helpless and pitied people because we are sinners standing among a holy and just and sin-hating God. Thankfully, the story does not end here, but we find maybe the two greatest words of the Bible in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, the two words being, but God. Changes the whole direction of history in saying, But God, despite all of our sinfulness, and not just you who were dead in sin, verse 1, but verse 3 excuses no one, saying, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, not kind of dead, not kind of good, 
but completely dead, hopeless, helpless in sin. Then the direction of the passage here changes in verse 4 with the two good words of but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. While God is holy and just and will punish sin, we saw in Exodus 34 there was this somehow, some way that he will also forgive iniquity and sin. He is also rich in mercy and loving and provides a way that our sin may be atoned for, a way that we may escape the punishment for our sin that we all deserve. And that way, as we know, is through Jesus Christ, who you see in Philippians chapter 2 that we looked at a few weeks ago and many other amazing descriptions of Jesus and what he did in the Bible. Ephesians, Philippians 2, for example, says that Jesus, who though while he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and emptied himself, coming in the form of a servant, in the likeness of men living on earth. And we know that Jesus went on to live a perfect life, which made him the perfect sacrifice for sin. So God, while he is just and holy and punishes sin, he is loving and merciful in that out of his great love, he provides a way, a sacrifice through Jesus, who was fully man and fully God at the same time in one person, died as a sacrifice to cover our sins. So we see God's character, man's sinfulness, and here in the answer to the problem, we see the third part of the gospel in Ephesians chapter 2, Christ's sufficiency. Look at verses 4 through 7. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In the third part of the gospel here, we see the sufficiency of Christ, that through Jesus Christ, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, our sins can be covered, atoned for, forgiven. And the sufficiency of Christ is shown very well in these verses as we see that truly all that God the Father does for his people, he does it through Jesus. Look at those verses. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up in verse 6 with Christ, seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he shows riches and grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So see all the uses of Jesus here to, to show that all that God does through his saving work of sinners like you and I and the world, he does it through his son and through his son's work, Jesus Christ. So we see these three first parts of the gospel. And this then brings the question, so does the work of Jesus save all people? Will every single person die and go to heaven? And here we find the fourth and a very important part of the gospel as we know it and examine ourselves with this gospel and share it with other people is that we are not finished at God's character, man's sinfulness, and 
the work of Jesus and his sufficiency. But the fourth part, we must ask ourselves and others as we go about life as believers, is our response to the gospel. How do you respond to this good news of Jesus Christ? And that's exactly where Paul goes in verses 8 and 9. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We see in verse 8 that we are saved only by the grace of God. As Mr. Charles so well pointed out earlier, the grace is the unmerited gift of salvation that the Lord gives us. But we're saved only by His grace, yet through our faith in Him. By grace, through faith, you have been saved in verse 8. Jesus, perfect sacrifice, covers and takes away the sins of not every single person who ever lives or has lived or will live, but every single person who entrusts their life in Him through faith, wholehearted faith and belief in Jesus. The man or woman who was marked by faith in Jesus, that is the man or woman and men and women whose Jesus' sacrifice covers. And furthermore, verse 9 makes it clear that we're saved by faith alone. It says, not a result of works, not a result of the good things that we may do to earn God's favor. We could never do that. We are not saved by our good works or deeds. But as verse 8 says, and as I've said, as we all know, we are saved by genuine, wholehearted faith in Christ, which then results in good works, which then results in a life lived wholly for Jesus. So we see here in this passage that genuine faith is what saves us, and genuine faith will result in good works, as we'll see in verse 10. Genuine faith results in a life lived for Jesus, full of good works, all for his glory. We're not saved by the good works, but as a result of our salvation, we give our lives wholly to him. So our response to the gospel is the most important matter in our life. In Mark 1, verse 15, Jesus says that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he says, repent and believe in the gospel. So our response to the word of God, to the work of God throughout history, the only correct response is to turn from sin, turn from our old way of living for ourselves and to Christ in faith, in belief. Repent and believe in the gospel is what Jesus says here. So first, as we look at this gospel anytime, Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling in Philippians. So we must examine ourselves and ask, have I responded to the gospel in this way? Have I repented and believed in the gospel? Do I know Jesus? Does my heart beat for him? We examine our own lives and our own hearts. Hopefully we have, and if we haven't, I urge you to make the best decision of your life in trusting Jesus for salvation. But not only must we examine ourselves, but also share this good news with others. As we talk about it so often in missions and church planning and even sending a team out tonight, we must share the gospel as believers with other people that they may come to salvation in the Lord just as we have that they may taste and see that the Lord is good, 
just as we have believed, as believers have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So we examine ourselves with this gospel and we share this gospel so that it may have its effect on as many people as possible by the grace and working and power of God. What we have here in Ephesians 2, these short 10 verses, is a good and easy way of understanding the gospel for ourselves, but also a, share, a very understandable way of sharing the gospel. It's very concise and, and packaged here well. You see, I'll go through it one more time. God's character, man's sinfulness, Christ's sufficiency, and our response. And a quick, easy way of remembering this way of talking through sharing the gospel is God, man, Christ's response. So that is the first nine verses of this passage. And at the end of these verses, in verse 10, Paul looks ahead to life after salvation. So many of us here tonight, hopefully all of us, have trusted Jesus for salvation. Here is what Paul says as a result, concluding on the gospel here in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We see in verse 10, after the gospel is clearly explained, that once we have been saved by the grace of God from our sin, our lives are given a purpose, something to live for. And throughout the Bible, we see that that purpose as believers, that we are to enjoy God while on earth and glorify Him forever by knowing Him in the Word, in prayer, among other believers, obeying what we learn about Him, and of course, making Him known. So we've talked a lot about the gospel and sharing the gospel tonight. And oftentimes, sharing the gospel can be thought of as burdensome or a tough task to do. But it does not have to be that way, and it should not have to be that way. I often think that myself. So I'm speaking to myself probably more than anyone here. But we should not think of doing this as a to-do list to be checked off, but with joy as believers who have been saved from sin by God, we should carry the good news of Jesus along wherever we go, on our lips and on our heart. Like scheduled times of sharing the gospel, maybe we plan it, or, or maybe not. Maybe we just uh, the Lord provides an opportunity that pops up that we may share the gospel with joy, knowing that in all places there are people just like you and just like me who are not just people with names or jobs or whatever else, but they are souls with a fast approaching eternity of he heaven with the Lord or hell separated from the Lord. So it's a good reminder and a good way of thinking that we carry this gospel with us on our hearts and lips wherever we go. So maybe, you know, you get an opportunity to share and nothing comes of it. Maybe they don't even listen to you when you try to share. But the story I shared at the beginning should be of some encouragement to, to all, all of us here. So maybe on the other side of that, you share the gospel and the Lord blesses it. And the person listens and believes and goes on to make disciples, who makes disciples, who plant churches, who plant churches. And from one small act of obedience, like with whoever the man was at the bar that night, like I shared earlier, maybe hundreds and hundreds of people will, will hear the gospel 
and trust the Lord for salvation because of one small act of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, I thank you for this evening and for these people who are here. God, I I thank you for your gospel and for your grace, your mercy, your love. God, we thank you even for your holiness, Lord, your justness, that you will, will punish sin that as you see fit, as it should be punished, God. We know that if you were not just, if you did not punish sin, if you were not holy, if you did not hate sin, you would not be good, and therefore you would not be God. So we praise you for who you are, every bit of you, and we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for our salvation, that by your grace we were born and live where we live. We heard the gospel by your grace, and even furthermore, by your grace, we responded to the gospel in repentance and belief. I pray that you would continually be with all of us here, that we would live for you, make Jesus our reason for living. God, that we may live the rest of our lives, whether we have a few more days or many, many more years, to know you, God, to enjoy you and make you known to other people. I pray that you be with everyone here as we go back to work for the rest of the week or whatever we have going on. Lord, I pray we have good, safe weeks, God, and honor you in all that we do. Amen.